You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. my bedtime. I really appreciate it. Um, gosh, when I get nervous, I get the church giggles, um, which is a Midwestern term for um, laughing in church, which is ironic because this is very churchy. Um, and I'm not nervous to be here because you are all so pretty. Um, but I am nervous because I am about to talk about my, relation, my, my relationship, my boundaries with religion. Um, so I really hope nothing falls. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> um, but I don't believe in God. Um, but I do believe in my grandmother. To be fair, I have never met either of them. Um, my grandmother passed about five years before I was born, so I was raised through stories of her. Um, when my mother was pregnant with me, I was proving a difficult pregnancy, and my grandmother appeared to her in a dream to tell her that it will be fine and it will be a girl. So when I was born, my mother gave me the middle name Charlotte after my grandmother. That wasn't the only story she told me. She also told me that the day after my grandmother passed, she appeared to my mother in another dream wearing a pink suit and telling her that she is no longer in any pain and to tell my father, her son, that she is okay. When my mother went to my grandmother's funeral, she fainted not because she was seeing her first dead body, but because she was seeing Charlotte in that same pink suit. But this is not a ghost story. If it were a ghost story, I would have to believe in God. Um, that's not to say I never did. I was an avid Midwestern church-going girl. I was an acolyte. I was in the handbell choir. I baked for all of those strawberry shortcake Sundays. Um, <laughs> you'd be surprised by how many there are. And, um, and I did everything like, just like Charlotte, just like Charlotte. My family would always repeat that. And I wanted to believe it, if nothing else, because I wanted my grandma Charlotte's firebrand red hair and it was fabulous. Um, and we spoke these stories about her like psalms until I turned 18. And we were living in Boston at that point. I was about to go off to Boston University. And I was sitting on the couch late at night. And my dad comes down. And he says, it's about time that you know this. And he hands me a letter. And I remember green, meticulous ink. And I remember the words, I'm not in pain any longer. And I remember the way my dad wouldn't look at me. This was my grandmother's suicide note. And all I could think to say was, she doesn't even really have red hair, does she? And it's, it was dyed. <laughs> so what the stories that I didn't know were the years that my grandmother spent in pain. Um, what we now think to be fibromyalgia, meaning that she was just in chronic pain and unable to leave the bedroom. Um, yeah, so I, I, I had these immense feelings of, of anger and guilt and frustration because if I'm 
reminding people so much of Charlotte, I am also reminding people of pain and this suffering. So I stopped going to church. I cut my hair off. I went to university, I wrote plays, I graduated, and I was about to move to New York City to start my life as a professional bohemian. And yeah, <laughs> I almost wore all black tonight. <laughs> and my, uh, my dad said, you know, I think that we should do a weekend trip. You know, I was living six miles away from them, but we weren't that close the way we used to be. And he said, let's go hiking. And I said, okay, let's hike the Washington Peaks. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Washington Peaks are in New Hampshire, and they're sort of these demi-mountains that surround Mount Washington, which is one of the highest points in North America. Um, has some of the highest wind speeds known to man. But my dad and I felt prepared, you know, like, he took the steps during work, and, like, I looked at a Stairmaster, so we were doing okay. Um, and we'd set off to go to our first hut. The Washington Peaks are these series of huts that surround Mount Washington. So you climb your way to the huts, and these very young, very athletic, very attractive people man the huts and like run up and down the mountain with the food. Um, so we thought that we could do it. And um, we set off at like one in the afternoon, which should already be a red flag. Um, um, but we're walking, and then there's this, like, cavalry of, like, army men wearing camo. And not, like, the, like, the attractive, like, sweaty Betty camo. Like, they look like G.I. Joes. And they're coming down, like, you know, you, if when you pass people hiking, you usually have, like, the typical, like, oh, where's the escalator? You know, like, that kind of a joke. But these... <laughs> These men, like, approached us, and then, like, it looked like they walked off the set of Full Metal Jacket, and they're like, ma'am, I just got to tell you that that was, like, one of the hardest hikes of my life, and I'm wishing you and your husband, I mean your daddy, I wish you the best to look, and God bless you, God bless America, and they just, like, run down the mountain. <laughs> but at that point, it's, like, five in the evening, so we're about to lose sunlight. We, we, we're too proud to follow these men down. Um, and we're only a couple of miles away from the hut. So we decide to continue, and we're above the tree line, and what we forget to remember is that in, when you're climbing these big mountains, the weather can change like that. So it's June, but all of a sudden, these clouds darken, the, the temperature drops about 20 degrees, and there's this sleet that is coming in sideways. And instead of rock scrambling, we are just scrambling at this point because there are no sticky or rocky surfaces to grab onto. And if we have one misstep, we are sliding, you know, 500, 600 feet down the mountain. And I'm crying. And at this point, we're about less than a mile from the hut. We can't see it, but we can feel it. Um, but we can't go any further. Uh, at this point, I am starting to enter the early stages of hypothermia. My legs are shaking beyond control. Um, I'm turning blue, like my fingernails, and I'm getting really tired. Um, and we're losing sunlight. My dad's phone doesn't have any service. Um, I have one bar of service. The um, emergency hotline that you call the uh, mountain rescue team is only open from 9 to 5, ironically. Um, <laughs> So what we do is we call my mother, and we have about three minutes before my battery runs out, and we say, we give her our coordinates, and we say, we're on this mountain, we're alive. <laughs> we leave it to her to call the appropriate uh, um, police departments to 
walkie-talkie their way up to the cabin that we're about to stay at to come rescue us. This takes about an hour, but we don't know this, and at this point, we've lost almost all sunlight. I'm really fucking cold, sorry. Um, and nothing's fallen yet. And I, we're preparing for the worst, in a way. Um, and this would be the perfect time to find God, wouldn't it? You know, I am stranded on this mountain. There is no sunlight. There is this torrent of rain and sleet and hail. And I want God to appear, but all I can recite is Samuel Beckett. Um, and I am a theater major. And I'm not sorry. Um, and <laughs> we finally do get rescued, though. And they make me drink warm tang and lentil soup, which is not a flavor combination I recommend anytime, ever. But it does warm me up to the point where I can start to bend my knees again. And this young, very sweet young woman rescues us with chains, and we get the final eighth mile up to the cabin. My dad thanks her, and he goes, you know, I really appreciate what you've done for us. What's your name? And she goes, it's Charlotte. At which point my dad just cries. <laughs> because while I was there having my atheistic, you know, moment of we can't go on, we must go on, my dad was calling out to Charlotte. We're too tired to really talk about it. We finished the hike. We eat pancakes, the American pancakes with maple syrup. Um, I really, it's another story. Um, I moved to New York, um, and it's the worst summer of my life. It turns out being a professional bohemian just means that you're homeless. Um, so I am spending, <laughs> I am spending my time split between this photographer in Bushwick and this producer in the Upper West Side, and it is the hottest summer in New York. The A train is catching on fire. The ground is so hot that cockroaches are flying, and, and I think that I am in hell. So I decide I have to do something, and I have enough money at this point now that I can start to look for an apartment of my own. So I'm going online, and I'm, you know, I'm meeting these roommates, these potential roommates, and I hit it off with this one girl who's soon to become my best friend. And out of nowhere, this... I'm seeing the apartment for the first time and this cat comes out of nowhere and just kind of attaches herself to my chest, which would normally be frightening, but it really kind of felt like a hug. She goes, oh, I hope you don't mind cats. You know? And I was like, no, I love this cat. Um, she goes, yeah, that's Charlotte. <laughs> so although I, I'm unsure right now what the boundaries are with my relationship to God, I know at least I'm starting to know that I really, really believe in Charlotte. Thank you. Taylor Beidler. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.